Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. So turn to Philippians 4, 4 through 9. So we're going to be in Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Let us hear God's word. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, and whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your word here in Philippians, for inspiring and giving Paul the words to say. Lord, we thank you that you have blessed us with this text, which can so uh, help us through times of trouble. Oh Lord, that we may not be anxious, but that we may trust you in all things. Lord, help us to hear your word this day, uh, to commit ourselves to it, to believe and trust you in the deliverance of it. And Lord, strengthen us and equip us for the day in which you have placed us, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, we'll be learning from God's word how to rejoice in the Lord always. Right? And to give our anxious thoughts and hearts and emotions up to the Lord that we may experience the peace that God alone can give. So Paul opens with the command, rejoice in the Lord always. Not a suggestion, but a command. Again, I will say, rejoice. Right? How often are we to be rejoicing here? What? Always. Always. Right? That seems hard, doesn't it? Like, if you really think about it, and you sit down and think, okay, yeah, I can rejoice in the Lord always, and then you start thinking of particular circumstances, and you think, eh, maybe it's not so easy to rejoice always. Right? How is that possible? Well, let's define joy, because rejoicing is part of joy, right? Rejoicing is part of joy. Here's a working definition of, a joy, of joy. Biblical joy is choosing to respond to external circumstances with inner contentment and satisfaction, because we know that God will use these experiences to accomplish his work in and through our lives. Okay, and I'm going to read that again. This is... A definition that Mel Walker gave, okay? Biblical joy is choosing to respond to external circumstances with inner contentment and satisfaction because we know that God will use these experiences to accomplish his work in and through our lives. Right? Here we find a direction of the will in joy. There's a direction of the will in joy. And rejoicing, you see, is the outward manifestation of the inward joy. 
We often think of joy as just being. When you look it up in a lot of dictionaries, it, it just is like a feeling. But biblical joy is more than a feeling. It sounds like it could be a song, maybe. Right? I won't sing it for you. <laughs> but it is more than a feeling. Okay? Um, it's that inward joy. So we are to have a joy that is in a direction. Right? In a direction. We're pointing to and through in a direction by contentment. Inner contentment that comes from knowing God and that whatever is going on in our lives, the Lord is providentially orchestrating because he is sovereign and using these things to accomplish what he desires to work in our lives. And it's for his glory. And it's for our good. And it's for the building up of his kingdom. Joy is resting in the Lord with contentment in all of that. And rejoicing is the outward manifestation of that inward joy. Matthew Henry says about this text here, it is our duty, our duty, our duty. Right? Isn't that interesting? It is our duty to rejoice in the Lord. It is our duty to rejoice in the Lord always, at all times, in all conditions, he says. And he also calls it a great privilege to rejoice in the Lord. Isn't that, isn't that nice? That's great. Contentment in the Lord is key. We are relying on him in all things, content in him. I mean, James, we just read the text in James where he says, Count it all joy, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Right? Can we count it all joy when we fall into these trials? That we find ourselves in? Right? How can we have that contentment that radiates in joy in our lives? When we're confident in Christ Jesus and know him, know what he has done, know what he has accomplished for us as our substitute, it begins there. That inner contentment that we have and can have begins there. Contentment and joy in Christ begins in knowing and believing and understanding and embracing the gospel. You can't have that inner contentment that we're going to be looking at here in this text without the gospel. Then, it's, then joy is just a feeling. Our feelings can be distrusted though, right? Instead, we have this text here giving us the rejoicing that is our duty in the Lord our God in all circumstances trusting what his word says to us that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us in Philippians 1 6 Paul's confidence is that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ can you have confidence in that because that confidence is not in you it's not in you being strong and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. It is in the Lord and what he has done. He has begun a good work in you and he is seeing it through to completion. He is working in you his will. In fact, that's what Paul says, that it is God who works in you not, uh, both to will and to work for his own good pleasure. Right? That's in Philippians 2.13. So the Lord God and his son Jesus Christ 
is working in your midst. And that is where our confidence must be, where our confidence must lie in him, not in man, not in another person, but in the Lord. Joy and its manifesting overflow of rejoicing is a fruit of the Spirit. It is a fruit of the Spirit that Paul lists in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, where we see the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When the Holy Spirit is indwelling you, he will bring you back to joy and contentment. When we struggle to have that joy and contentment, he brings us back. The Holy Spirit brings us back. We just read about him being another helper. That's part of what he does, is helps us to have that inner contentment and joy in Christ and in the Lord. He points us to Christ and what he has accomplished. He will bring back bring you back to joy and contentment as we focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and know the Lord and know that we are in him, connected to him. How do we know him? We know him as he's revealed himself in his word. Right? We know him through the preaching of that word. We know him through the spirit who is at work in us. We know him through the sacraments. We know him through studying his word. We know him by seeing Christ in each other and being Christ-like to each other. Right? Think of Matthew 25, 37 to 40. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in and naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. We are connected with each other and we see Christ in each other and we are Christ to each other because of him and our connection to him. He is in us. And so we go to him, we, we go through him and serve our brethren and love our brethren and love those who are around us because we're connected with Christ. Joy and rejoicing is tied in with worry as well as Paul goes on here. Paul knows that when we are worried, anxious, fearful, that it is much harder to rejoice much harder to rejoice when we're anxious, worried, fearful, and so forth, right? It's true, isn't it? Right? When we're worried, anxious, fearful, and concerned, do you feel like rejoicing? No, you just want to be done with it. You want to figure out how to get out of it, right? I know. I've been there. I do that, right? Too often, my first call is like to a doctor or another friend or something like that rather than trusting in the Lord, and going to him first. Rejoicing in what he's brought me. Right? We want to figure it out. We want to solve this so we can get on. But that's not the way the Lord operates. Not very often. He doesn't give us ease in our life. He wants us to be sharpened and grow and, and grow into maturity and to grow in our patience. To finish the, the race well. So Paul then says in, in verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Right? And we think. Now come on Paul. 
How can we be anxious for nothing? How can we have no anxiety? Right? How can we not be worried when life is happening, when life is such a mess, it seems to be falling apart, how can we not worry, Paul? Well, if it's any comfort, Jesus says the same thing. He says the same thing in Matthew 6, 25. So it's not just Paul with this pie-in-the-sky kind of attitude that Paul might have, or so we think. Right? But Jesus says the same thing. He says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then he goes on to say, Do I not clothe the, the flower of the field and feed the birds of the air and all, all of those things? Are you not more of, of more value than they? Right? He says, Jesus is saying, do not worry about your life, eating, drinking, clothing. Right? Aren't those basics, a lot of the times, our worries? Right? Jesus knows what we humans are going to struggle with, what we men struggle with, what we women struggle with, what we children struggle with. And these basics of life are often where our struggles, if you boil it all down to where they are. Right? How am I going to pay this bill or that bill? How am I going to be able to put gas in the car? Where am I going to get food for the kids? Jesus says, don't worry. Don't worry. Paul says, be anxious for nothing. Wow. Wow. Paul tells us about contentment in the same chapter that we're looking at here in Philippians. Verses 4, 11 through 12. So just a few verses past our text for today. It says, Now that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everything, Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer Need. Right? Paul is talking about contentment in all things. Right? Paul's talking about being content in whatever circumstance he finds himself in. Right? I mean, this is Paul, though, right? Paul's an apostle. Of course he can do this stuff, right? He's a man just like us. Right? He's a person just like us. He understands the struggles that we all have. Right? He's writing this about being content in all circumstances while he's in prison. Right? And he's just told them to be anxious for nothing. You see, Paul's trusting Jesus as his provider. Right? That's Jesus' point. That's Paul's point. Trust Jesus as your provider. Rest in Him. You see, when anything burdens our hearts, our spirits, how do we ease our minds? When we have these burdens weighing down upon us, how do we ease our minds? How do we take it all to the Lord? Paul tells us in 4.6, right after he tells, them, tells us, the Philippians and us, to be anxious for nothing... Here's what we do. 
But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. See, God gives good gifts to his children, doesn't he? He gives good gifts to his children. He doesn't, you know, give a snake to his children. He gives good gifts to his children. In everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God your Father. We pray to the Lord knowing that God is sovereign in all things. He is Lord over all. He is King of kings. He is Lord of all. He is the one that is at work in us to will and to, to do for his own good pleasure. Can we trust him in this? Can we trust him at his word? Has he been faithful to you in the past? Right? There's a thought. Has he been faithful to you in the past? Think back to when Joe read through um, some of the history of the last 20 years of CCLC. I don't remember when that was, but when we celebrated the 20th anniversary and stuff, and Joe read through some, some of those things, those highlights of the last 20 years, right? Think about that. Has the Lord been faithful to CCLC here? Right? Anybody want to take a stab at that, answering that? What? Yes, yes he has, right? He has been. Steve and Sarah, has the Lord been faithful to you in the past? Yes. Yes, he has. I know he has, and he is faithful now, and will be faithful to you all, right? And for you, Steve, he is a faithful father who is disciplining you, and that means he loves you. And you can be thankful for that. Right? Bring the worries and your anxious thoughts to the Lord in prayer. But it must also be tended to with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Be thankful people. Right? Thanksgiving must accompany prayer. Right? And, and we're thankful when we recall all the blessings of the Lord. And we're thankful. Just start thanking the Lord. Right? Thank Him for everything that you can think of to be thankful for. Just start thanking Him. Right? And you'll see very quickly how overwhelming He is. How He has blessed you. Right? Being ungrateful is a wicked sin. It is in the list of sins that we see in Romans 1. You know, where you have all the, what we would call all the big wicked sins of homosexuality and sodomy and lesbianism and all of those types of sins. And in the middle of that, the reason why is because they're unthankful to God. Ingratitude is a wicked sin. And it leads to all sorts of perversions. It leads to all sorts of wickednesses. We must be a thankful people. And just start thanking Him for everything. Even in a bad circumstance, thank Him. Because He's doing it for you. He's doing it for His glory. He's doing it for the building of His kingdom. 
right? Paul says, let your requests be made known to God. Is he your loving heavenly father? Right? That's the question. Then take your concerns of life to him. He will listen to you. He will hear you. He will provide for you. He will give you good gifts. Now it's interesting. Let your requests be made known to God. And all of that. When we see these things. It's interesting that when you read through Paul's epistles. You can see related themes. Right? He's got related themes in his different epistles that he writes. In 1 Thessalonians 5.16-18 we read this. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. This is what he's saying in Philippians here. It's really what he's saying in Philippians, just in a more succinct manner. Right? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It's, it's the same thing. Right? And see the key, or, or hear the key words. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing and everything give thanks. This is exactly what we see here in Philippians. And we often know what want to know what is God's will for us, right? What is God's will for you? Right? Paul answers that right here. He says, rejoice, pray, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Right? Here it is. There's God's will. Right? Rejoice, pray, give thanks. And as we find ourselves going back to these very basics of the Christian life, very great basics of the Christian life, we recognize these are foundational for how to live our lives. And when we do, we see in verse 7, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard or keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. In situations of life, it can come sometimes looks like you cannot not be anxious, <laughs> right? You have to be anxious. You have to worry. You have to fret. How can you rejoice, pray, and give thanks? Well, I can't really understand. Somebody might ask you, how, how do you have this peace that you seem to have with God? How, how is it that you can have that peace? And you can say, I, I don't really understand it, but it, it's the peace of God that's in me because I'm content in what the Lord has brought my way. That's the peace of God that the world can't understand. That's beyond comprehension. That peace of God stems from the gospel. That peace of God stems from the gospel, the good news that we know that we are reconciled unto him. That our confidence of faith is not in what I have done, but what Christ has done and finished on the cross for our sake. That we're relying on him and his work alone, that he has worked for us by his grace and mercy. It is that solid inner confidence in Christ that gives us the peace that passes all understanding. Going to him in prayer and thanksgiving, even in the hard stuff, And the peace of God given to us by him will keep us from sinning in our troubles and sinking into despair in them. The peace of God does that. That inner contentment that we have in the spirit does that. Surpasses all understanding. When we read that 
that phrase surpasses all understanding. It reminds me of Paul in Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. I said he's got these themes that just seem to overlap. Here's what Ephesians 3, 14 to 21 says. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Right? We have his name. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then he breaks out into praise, and this is where we need to be in praise. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly. Is that a lot of abundance? Right? Exceedingly abundantly, above all that we can ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Is that not an amen, right? You see in this our utter reliance upon him in all of life. And surpasses all understanding becomes the Lord is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. When we are his. When we are his. Now, a couple more things. In verse 8, we read, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So in the midst of our anxiety and our worries and things, we go to the Lord in prayer, we go to the Lord giving thanks to him, but then we also meditate on the goodness of the Lord, Right? We are to be keeping our minds when we're anxious, when we're worried, to keep our minds on the goodness that the Lord has produced in the world. Now, it's easy to dwell on the negative things of life, especially when we're Calvinists, Reformed people. Right? We believe there is none good, no, not one. Because that's what the Bible says, right? In Romans 3, there is none good, no, not one. But we sometimes transpose that in our minds that there is nothing good. Don't we? That there's nothing good. But Paul tells us here about the goodness that is around us. The things that are true and noble and just and pure and lovely, of good report, of virtue, of praise. These are the things that we should focus in on. Anybody can be negative. It's so easy to fall into negativity. It's so easy to focus on the negative. Because we're sinners and there's none good. No, not one. But Paul's calling us to think on the goodness that is around us. The virtue that's around us. The true things, the noble things. The things that are just, of good report, virtuous, praiseworthy. Again, Paul says similar things. There's this overlap again in Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. Where he says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk 
in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness and greediness. Right? There's some negative stuff. But you have not so learned Christ, he says. Right? If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying... Let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. There's that again, that same theme that we saw in 1 Corinthians 12. And so he says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, what is good that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed from your mouth. Don't let that negative stuff come out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. I think the positive aspects that we see here and whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right and, and lovely and of good repute, this is what Paul is talking about here in Ephesians as well. Put on the new man that focuses on those good aspects of life. The Lord is good. He's blessing. He's strengthening us. He's growing us into maturity. Put those things on. Put off that old man that is full of the negative and put on the new, which is focused on Christ, and in that, then we can have all hope. Finally, Paul says in verse 9, The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Now here's Paul. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. And another place, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. That's what Paul's getting at here in verse 9. Imitate your leaders. Imitate your leaders in the example that they set before you. Right? Imitate Steve in the example he has lived and spoken to you in the past five years. As he has imitated Christ. And imitate your elders... Tim and Joe, as they likewise imitate Christ Jesus. You can also imitate Steve and what he's doing right now, displaying integrity. Right? Recognizing his sin, confessing it, repenting of it. Imitate that. Knowing that he is enduring the consequences of his sins by stepping down. That's integrity. That's an honorable man. Imitate him as he imitates Christ Jesus. Not in his sins, obviously, but in his integrity and faithfulness. And extend your forgiveness to him in the hurt that he has caused you. And understand, we all sin. Right? We all sin. 
It is what we do with that sin. It is what we do with that sin. Do we try to cover it up or do we confess it and own it and seek the forgiveness of the Lord and others that we have hurt? That's it. Right? As we walk in the faith, the God of peace will be with you all. Amidst all this, he is faithful. He is faithful even when we are not. And know that he who has begun a good work in you will see it through to completion. He who has begun a good work in all of us will see it through to completion. Because that's the God that we worship. Right? Amen? Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for the text you've given to us here. We thank you for the message that you inspired Paul to give to the Philippians so long ago that still applies to us this day. We pray that your name would be lifted up and exalted in our lives and that you would grow us into maturity. And we thank you for the love that you have for us. We thank you for the grace and mercy you've shown to us. We thank you for Jesus, your Son, our precious Savior. And it's in his name we pray. Then he poured water into the wash basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which he had tied around himself. So he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not realize now, but you will understand afterwards. Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet, ever. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed only need to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. Am I not all of you? That sends the reading of God's word. As we come to the Lord's table this morning, we have passed through our liturgy. We have been called into our Lord's presence. We have confessed our sins together. We have been cleansed by his word. We have had our feet washed by our Lord. At our conversion, because we belong to Christ, just like Peter, we have already been washed from head to foot by, <clears throat> by Jesus. We no longer require a complete bath, but we come each week and we have our feet cleaned. We confess our sins. We profess our faith together through prayers and creeds. We feast on God's word being fed by his revelation in his word and empowered by his spirit. Through this cleansing and renewal, we now come to eat with our king, seated at his table, remembering his sacrifice in our behalf. Let us rejoice then in so great a salvation, eating and drinking with thanksgiving, full of joy and gladness at the bounty of our great high priest. We invite to the Lord's table all those who have been baptized and are under the authority of Christ and his body, the church. By eating the bread and drinking the wine with us, you are acknowledging that you are a sinner without hope, except in the sovereign mercy of God, and that you are trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. 
Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.